Hey, Dad, you're always so busy, but I never see you finish anything. Oh, Sophie, I'm just being a busy bee. Busy bees make honey. But, Dad, you're not making honey. You're just buzzing around. No, no, no. I'm multitasking like a pro. You've got mail. Oh, there's a new email in my inbox. And here's Instagram telling me we just got a new podcast follower. I'm like a superhero with my never-ending to-do list. But, Dad, you haven't crossed anything off that list in days. Ah, well, you see, honey, it's all part of my master plan. Productivity is a marathon, not a sprint. A marathon where you never reach the finish line? Well, it sounds like I really need the advice of this week's guest. We're talking all about being better organized inside and outside of the beehive. I, I mean the workplace. This is the Insights at Work podcast. Okay, Dad. Just remember, bees make honey by actually doing the work. Let's dive in. You're listening to the Insights at Work podcast, one of North America's top HR resources, where we look at what's happening in the HR world, take your questions, and study the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. And, well, frankly, I don't think today's episode is going to help you at all. In fact, you might as well stop listening right now, because if you've been able to set the time aside to listen today, well... You're already miles ahead of me in terms of being organized. I'm terrible at it. And that's why I'm so excited to speak with today's guest. Because I have a feeling that I'm going to get more from today's conversation than our listeners. But that's usually the case anyway. Marie Dunagrath Parikh is the founder of Life is Organized and author of Accomplish It. Seven simple actions to get the right things done and achieve your goals. She is a sought-after productivity speaker and coach that focuses on overcoming procrastination, achieving goals, and squashing overwhelm. Marindu's been featured in the Huffington Post, Good Housekeeping, and she's been named a top 20 home office organizing expert. She's obsessed with focusing on what matters most with less stress and less work. And, well, since I'm obsessed with trying to spend more time with our nine-year-old daughter, Sophie, which usually consists of her critiquing whatever I'm doing... That's disgusting. How do you expect me to eat that? Daddy, you're just chubby. I don't mean really chubby, but just chubby. I'm really excited to become better organized. Welcome to the Insights at Work podcast, Maritu. Thank you, Jeff. That was quite an introduction, and I love your vulnerability with your organization or maybe some some areas of improvement. So I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. Well, Marie Du, if there's anything that I, I'm great at, it's really pointing fault at myself. <laughs> it's a good trait. <laughs> so Marie Du, for those listening who might not have seen or heard about you, why don't you fill them just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, first off, I'm a mom of two boys, two teens who keep me very busy. I am a former corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. I started my entrepreneurial journey as a professional home organizer, 
which over time evolved into a productivity expert, a productivity pro. And the way I got there was really, I needed to teach exactly what I'm learning today. I had the kids, I had this business, I had family, I had community, all the things we all do, juggling a hundred things. And I just felt like I wasn't doing anything really well. And I kind of just went down this personal development journey of figuring it out, how to prioritize, how to focus better, like how to manage all the things on my plate. And I wish I could say it was it was quick, but probably about 18 months later, I transformed, came out on the other side, feeling so much more successful and just so much more accomplished about what I was doing, where, how I was showing up, where I was putting my efforts, that that eventually led to me helping other experts in the same thing, how to slay your to-dos, stop procrastinating, let go of perfectionism, and just use your time and energy better so that you feel so much better about what you do. So I guess you would subscribe to the theory progress over perfection. A hundred percent, right? Perfectionism just slows us down, keeps us stuck, don't move forward. And just imagine of all the things, all the progress and all the goals we would hit, how much faster if we just moved on them already instead of perfecting them all the time. Well, that practice is something that I'm just starting to uh, subscribe more to. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a journey, right? This isn't like you learn it once and we're cured or something. It's, it's like your health. You know, you're always taking care of your health or it's a lifelong thing. And so I think many of these skills are lifelong practices. So, Maridu, after I finished your book, something crossed my mind. And whenever people ask me how I'm doing, I usually say, oh, yeah, I'm great. Super busy. You know, things are always busy. Now, why do I equate being busy as some sort of badge of honor? And that also got me thinking about the concept of work-life balance. Now, I love working. And I think more in terms of work-life integration than work-life balance. So, Am I doing something wrong? No, I think you're right on the right track. I think work-life integration is where it's at. It's just life, right? Like getting a handle on your time isn't about cramming in more and more and more all the time. It's about giving yourself the freedom to be and do whatever makes you feel successful. And it's different for everybody, right? So work-life integration might be very well different for you than it is for me. So maybe you, your you know, your goal is to spend more time with Sophie uh, on the weekends, or maybe it's like evenings alone with her. And for someone else, I've had to work with clients where their idea of success or what success looks like with their family is as long as I'm there to tuck them in at night. Or for somebody else, it's I want to be home at three o'clock so I can pick them up from school, right? It looks very different to everyone. And that's where we have to start. You know, there is no right or wrong. There's like so many societal pressures of what we should be doing and how we should be showing up. But what is what are the goals and what makes you feel really good when you're integrating your life? It it comes from an intention and a deliberateness. Like I think there's so many things that we all say we want or we wish we could do, but what are we actually intentional about? Where are we really like carving out the time or coming up with a creative way to make it part of our day and our lives? Well, I carve out the time to coach her softball team, her baseball team. Uh, but apparently I'm the only coach that she doesn't listen to because I'm her dad, but she'll listen to everybody else. Yeah. Well, welcome to parenthood. <laughs> that's it. That's what they're all the same. <laughs> so Marie do I'm going to join your camp as a bubble buster here because whenever I interview people for a possible role on our team, they always tell me that multitasking is one of their strengths. And I think 
Well, that's one of my biggest weaknesses, or is it? I am a terrible multitasker. In your book, you write that multitasking makes you stupid. And then you give the stat that you could waste up to 40% of your day by constantly switching between tasks. Yeah. So I will preface this by saying there is productive multitasking and unproductive multitasking. But we tend to spend a lot of our day on the unproductive one. And so productive multitasking is when you're doing two low energy, low frequency tasks, and you can manage them at the same time without really messing up. Like I can go for a walk and listen to a podcast, or I can, you know, watch the news and do the dishes. Like it's, it's everything's going to be okay. Unproductive multitasking is when you're using high energy, high frequency tasks at the same time. So I am saying, maybe I'm having a great conversation with you and maybe my phone is, well, it's not actually doing this, but let's say it was buzzing on the left and my eyes are darting over there and then someone's walking in and now my attention has gone there. Right. And so all of that is doing these different things at the same time when our conversation is a high energy activity, right? This is something I really want to be focused on. I really want to use my brain power and be fully present. And that's when it works against us all the time. It does. It makes you stupid because you end up delivering lower quality work. You end up, you know, you know, you send out something around usually around three o'clock and maybe you sent it off, but you forgot to put the attachment or you see someone walking down the hallway and you're like, I know their name. I know their name. I know their name, but I can't remember their name, right? It's all this brain fog and the brain fog comes from this multitasking throughout the day. We're constantly switching back and forth and back and forth and using six different senses at one time and reacting and responding all at the same time. And it literally sucks the energy out of you. It like sucks the brain power from you. And you're just, you're just not going to work as such a, as the highest quality that you can. So then maybe I'm doing things right by being a terrible multitasker. You, you definitely are. I think it's a gift. I think it's a power. I actually was like, wait, is he being serious? He said that or being sarcastic? No, if you, if that's truly you, I think it's, it's amazing. Now, multitasking doesn't mean we still have many, many projects and tasks across our business. We have to compartmentalize all of these, but if you put 20 or 30 focused minutes towards one project and then completely shift your attention deliberately, intentionally 20 or 30 minutes towards another project, then yes, you're still getting multiple things done, but you're not multitasking, meaning doing them at the same time. So you give an example in the book and it refers to what you just said about kind of that lull around three o'clock. You give this example where you're comparing one's focus and their mental capacity in the morning. And then you compare that to the focus and their mental capacity at the end of the day. And you talk about it in terms of a cell phone being charged. Now, I'm a big fan of thinking that I only have so much creative power and it's not always at its highest peak at the end of the day. So can you elaborate a little bit more about that cell phone metaphor? Yes, I love that that analogy because it's so relatable, right? We can all we're all attached to our cell phones 24/7. So chances are you you grab it first thing in the morning, the alarm goes off, and like that's so healthy for us because we have it right next to our bedside, and immediately we're like scrolling through, looking at the news, looking at alerts, Instagram, all the things, right? And so, but when you pick up your phone, it is fully charged, it's green, and then over the course of the day, now you're looking at ways and Amazon and internets and web browsers and all the things, we're going back and texting. And maybe around three o'clock, you got to plug it back in because now it's not green anymore. The battery is red, right? Because we've been going back and forth all day. 
So our brain is the exact same way. We wake up in the morning, hopefully you're fully recharged. You've had a good night's sleep. Maybe you'll get some exercise, a good meal. You know, you're, you're green, you're ready to go. And the more that we are going from call to email, to text, to conversation, to walking, you know, going back and forth and back and forth, the faster that we are draining our own brain batteries. We only have that much energy every day. We are humans. That's all, you know, we have to go back to sleep again at night. So if you can just try to again, reduce multitasking or just focus for a longer period of time on one task at a time, you can essentially bring your brain, brain battery. So if you're feeling tired at three o'clock and you want to get a cup of coffee or you're like, I, you know, just again in a brain fog, imagine not feeling that way until six o'clock or seven o'clock, right? Imagine just being able to have 40% more energy, just like that phone. If you weren't on it all day, it would last till the evening. If you could do that, what, what kind of father or mother would you be? What kind of supervisor? What kind of manager? What kind of decisions would you make? How much better would you uh, make decisions about your health? Maybe you wouldn't skip the gym. Maybe you'd eat better food. You'd get better sleep, right? It just impacts your entire life. So yeah, I really passionate about don't don't go for an all or nothing, but just try, even if you're like, can I do this five minutes longer? Can I focus 10 minutes longer? You know, little increments of time to help keep that battery intact. So Marie Du, what's an urgency junkie? <laughs> it is probably most of us listening. And I say us because I can fall into this for sure. But an urgency junkie is giving undue urgency to non-urgent things, which is typically um, 95% of the time, it's your, anything on your phone or anything in email, right? Those are usually the two, the two biggest uh the two biggest ways we do this. So, you know, for example, you're doing your work and someone texts you. Now the text is, can we have dinner tonight? What are you doing this Saturday? Can you send me this thing? It is not urgent. You don't need to drop everything, but we do it at that moment, right? Or an email comes in and it's like, hey, can we give me some information? We drop what we're doing and take care of it. As if, as if our child is at the side of the highway and with a broke down car or someone's in the hospital. Like we literally give it this urgency that it doesn't deserve. And then... Now we've just trained ourselves like that, right? We train ourselves to react in this way. So it continues and it becomes a normal way of life. It's just the way we operate. And again, this is adding to, of course, all the multitasking, you know, getting your brain power down, um, losing your energy, not delivering higher, uh, higher quality work, being the last one to leave work, right? Because of that. So if, again, it's like small increments of time, can I train myself to not treat everything like an emergency? And some of the easiest ways to do it, honestly, I think that we have to use our willpower all day long from morning till night. It's it's like we cannot rely on willpower. It's not going to work. You can't just leave it next to you and let it buzz and let it ding and think, not going to look at it, not going to touch it, not going to respond. Instead, put it on do not disturb for 20 minutes, put it in the drawer, put it in your purse, leave it outside the door in the hallway, right? Actually eliminate the distraction is going to be your much better best friend versus trying to use your willpower to avoid actually, you know, giving into it. Marie, do my willpower to go to the gym or my willpower to stay on task, let's just say it's limited. So <laughs> at any given time of the day, I'm being drawn away from what I really should be doing to other more fun activities. Cool. I should be completing my expense report or wrapping up my compliance training. But it seems like every minute, a new email pops up asking me to direct my attention elsewhere. 
for the podcast, we love relevant, actionable advice, and we love lists. And you've developed a list of seven steps to help better organize one's life, whether it's in the office or outside of it. And you've got this awesome acronym for it. How can I stay focused in a world full of distractions? Okay. Well, I can take you through the seven, which is the acronym is ACTIONS, A-C-T-I-O-N-S. But I'm actually, I'll, I'll say that if anyone wants to read the book, but, but I'm going to focus on the actual, the A, which is avoid distractions. Now, all of them are going to help you in some way because they're going to help you to prioritize and systemize and delegate and use better boundaries. But the A is what we were just talking about was to actually avoid those distractions, just eliminate them versus relying on willpower. So I'll give you some really tactical easy things. And sometimes they're so easy. It feels like, really? Is she, is, this, is she kidding? But yes, I'm not here to waste your time. They 100% work. So one example is to simply clear your space, like clear the space, your desk, your workspace, if you work on the kitchen table, wherever you are, because here's what happens, right? So just imagine for those listening, you are, you're sitting down, you're like, I'm totally going to focus. And I need to like type out this email. It's like, it needs my brain thought. It really got to think about it. So you're looking down at the, uh, you know, your keyboard, you're typing and you're thinking of how to say the next phrase. You want to say it thoughtfully. And as a neurological response, when you're thinking your eyes move, they shift, they look, you look up. So you'll notice this now, like when you're thinking your eyes are going to look up and when you look up, that's when it happens. That's when that momentary lapse of concentration happens, right? You're like, oh, wait, there's a sticky note here. Oh, I got to send this to Barb and I got to take this HR. And I got to mail this and pick up those pizza boxes. My kid needs this. You just start doing all the things. And even if you're not actually physically doing it, well, it's going on the mental checklist. So now it's like you, you've taken yourself out of any type of focus or flow, which is essentially just concentration. And even that momentary lapse, that one second, that half a second, we all know, you just mentioned it. I want to respond to this. I want to respond to that. It can take you off path for 20 minutes. It can take you off path for two hours. It can take you off path for two days, right? Because that momentary slip. So that's how critical this whole kind of, uh, you know, clearing your desk is. So you don't need to organize everything. Just get it up off your desk, put it behind you. So that's one example. Okay. I'll share one or two more tactical ones. Sure. Okay. So another one is, um, well, let me ask you, do you typically have like, I don't know, dozens of tabs open on your computer anytime? So I have, usually I'll have like six or seven tabs, but Uh then it's funny because when I'm on uh, a Zoom meeting or something and somebody opens up their screen or they start to share the screen, I'm always looking at like how many tabs that they have open and some people have dozens of tabs open. Yeah. And I think you're, you're uh, not the norm. I think it's typically is dozens. We have lots of tabs open. And here's the thing with the open tabs, all those open tabs, it's even more distracting than what's on your space. It's even worse because here's what's happened. Same scenario. I'm looking down, I'm typing. I got to think of my next thought, my eyes shift. And then you see it. You're like, oh my gosh, did someone respond to my email? Did someone respond to my, my text or my, you know, like my uh, post? Oh, I got to send this off. Or this, and, and like your brain just starts going crazy. And here's the thing, every open task, every open task is a reminder of everything you haven't gotten done, right? So 
So it's, it's this weight, it's this giant weight that sits on your shoulders. So instead, what you want to do is go old school. Let's bookmark some things. Let's write it down on a piece of paper. So I said, clear your desk. The exception to that is leave a pad of paper and a pen, write down the next steps you have to do, because typically we're leaving them open. So we don't forget to get them done. Right. But all that's doing is adding stress. You're feeling behind. Now it's, it's like just self-sabotaging behavior. You're going to get multi, you're going to start multitasking all the things we've been talking about. You can get through your work so much faster with so much higher quality when you are focused. So that's another one. Close the tabs. Just leave the two or three you need. Let's say you're working on an analysis. Maybe you need a spreadsheet open or something else. Leave them and then close everything else. Now you also refer, you refer to something in the book called a Pomodoro timer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. I didn't invent it. It was invented back or created back, I think, in the 80s. And it is... Uh, it's a methodology that was based on brain and science research. And what the research shows is that your optimal brain performance is best utilized in increments of 25 minutes. In other words, you do your best work for 25 minutes. So if I told you, listener, if I told you, listen, you could do your best work, your highest quality, get it done most efficiently. If you just focus for 25 minutes, could you commit? Yes, I hope you're at home. I hope you're shaking your head like, yeah, I can do 25 minutes. I'm an adult. I am. I'm minutes, nodding. Right? You know, so, so, and so there's an actual timer. You can get on your apps or, you know, on your phone, look up Pomodoro timer. I like to use one called Focus Keeper because it's, it's just the free version of it. And um, when you go in, you actually press the timer. So like, okay, I'm going to do 25 minutes. I'm going to completely focus on doing this training or doing my taxes or doing this proposal, right? This thing I've been like putting off. So I set it for, you just press the button. It goes to 25. Now, after 25 minutes, it's going to change screens. It's going to go to five minutes and it's going to change from a red screen to a blue screen. And the five minutes is because what the research shows is that you actually should take a break if, if you're really anxious and you're feeling a lot of FOMO, take the five minute break because what it does is it, it you allow yourself to recalibrate and reassess. So in that five minutes, guess what you get to do? check your email. You can check your phone. You can make sure the whole world isn't falling apart. You can go to the bathroom and get a cup of coffee, whatever it is. And then, and then it immediately sets another 25 minute timer for you. So I will tell you this technique is probably the number one thing that I hear when I do trainings that train all around the country. When we talk about this, I'll get emails or like that changed my life. Like I didn't even know what I was capable of getting done because it has been so long that I've been focused for 25 minutes that it's, it's insane how much you can get done. So personally or professionally, highly recommend. Okay, so you offer this quote uh, by Dwight Eisenhower, and I think I should probably put on a t-shirt, and it says, what is important is seldom urgent, and what is urgent is seldom important. Now, I'm pretty passionate pretty much about everything, and I'm a people pleaser. So what are your suggestions for how I could prioritize What's really urgent? Yeah, well, that kind of goes back right to urgency junkie again. Um, but I love to ask myself this question uh, because I know in the book I have that the Eisenhower quote, I have the Eisenhower matrix, and anyone's familiar with that. It's again, it's from decades ago. There's like urgent, non-urgent, important, non-important. So in the book, I kind of I laid it out, and I'm like, here, you know what you could do is you can look at all your priorities for the day, and you can put them in these different buckets. But here's the reality you're probably not going to do it. Like, who's going to do it? We're in the midst of chaos. We're in the midst of overwhelm. There's a million things going on. We're probably not going to pull out our worksheet and be like, let me sit here and put in the thing. So 
I've come up with a question that gives me the exact same result as if I was to fill out that whole thing, but it's just one question. And if I answer this question every day, I have a really successful day. And when the days I skip it, it's just not. Here's the question. What three tasks, well, okay, I'm gonna back out. I'll say five tasks and I'll break that down. But what five tasks will I accomplish today that will make me feel most successful before my head hits the pillow tonight? Okay, what five tasks will I accomplish that will make me feel most successful before my head hits the pillow tonight? And the way that I like to break this is I do typically three professional and two personal. So when I said three, it was like, if we're talking about work, but life is integrated, it's all full. So like, what are the three most important things my head hits the pillow tonight? So this is what's so important about this is that it's about what, when my head hits the pillow tonight, not about what feels great in the moment. Because if I was like, well, what, what would make me feel really successful right now? What would I love to do? I would love to sit here and like stay on Instagram. I'd love to watch, binge watch Netflix. I'd love to do some fun, maybe for me, it's podcasting, like something really fun, right? I would love to do that. But when my head hits the pillow tonight, what are you thinking about when you go to bed at night? It's always everything I didn't get done. It's always that, right? So right. I'm not going to lie in bed being like, oh, I wish I'd spent another hour on Instagram. No, I wish I had gotten my butt to the gym that day, or I wish I had gone for that walk, you know, or I wish I had worked for 30 minutes on that training that I keep putting off. And so when I start directing my attention, when I prioritize and I answer that question, it is a roadmap. It is a guidance for my day. And I always end out feel, end up feeling successful and accomplished about my day. And of course, there's going to be more than five. We do a hundred other things too. But when I can lead with those, it's amazing. And I will, I will say then, I think also to answer your question is I will try to do the hardest ones because typically they're the things we're procrastinating. They're the things that are hard. I want to try to knock those out earlier in the day because of the energy, right? We have our, our energy, our battery is highest. So I will do my best. It can't always happen. There's life. Uh, but I will do my best to try to schedule my day. So those really tough ones are knocked out early. So Maridu, there was this pretty cool video music program when I was growing up. Now, you probably are thinking to yourself, wow, this guy, he looks way too young to have ever watched music videos on television. But it's true. I'm, I, I was part of the MTV generation. I just happen to have these great genes. It's now, like you're reading my mind, Jeff. You're reading my mind right now. Yeah. <laughs> so this program, well, it was where I got my heavy metal fix for the week. And it was called the power hour. Mm -hmm. Now you refer to something in your book called the power hour that doesn't have anything to do with guns and roses or Metallica, but I'm sure our listeners would benefit from hearing about it just as much. So tell me about what your power hour is and what you get from it at the end of the month. Yeah, this is such a great segue from what we were just talking about. So, you know, prioritizing, picking those those things that make you feel really great. And I mentioned knocking them out early. So the power hour brings those two together. And a power hour to me is honestly the most critical hour of your day, your life, your career, your relationships, your health. And the power hour is this one intentional hour that you are fully focused, you're fully deliberate on the, one of those most important priorities, right? So the ones that you said, I want to get done before my head hits the pillow tonight. Now, typically, ideally, in a perfect world, it is the first hour of the day. So what I like to do is have a personal power hour and a professional power hour. So in the personal power hour, it might be, I, I am going to go for a 30-minute walk or maybe just plan out my day today or sit and have coffee by myself or journal a little bit, right? Uh, when I was writing a book, 
I, I thought about it for three years. For three years, it was on my goals every year. I never did it. Finally, I was like 30 minutes every morning, you know, no matter what, whether I get down five words or 500 words, I will write for 30 minutes. Lo and behold, eight months later, there's a book, right? So it, it works. And then professionally, ideally, again, the first hour is what is that thing that's going to make me feel most successful tonight before my head hits the pillow? And typically something I'm procrastinating. So I can tell you what it's not. It's not sitting in my email. It's not responding to calls or texts. It's not on social. It's not doing anything that makes me feel like I'm escaping. It is that tough thing, that proposal, that training, or that email that I've been putting off for two weeks because it's so hard for me to think about what how to respond. And that's what I'm doing in those power hours. And if that feels too overwhelming, you're like, girl, I cannot pick good two more hours in my day. Make it a power 30. That's fine. Do 30 minutes personal, 30 minutes professional. Because imagine whether it's 30 minutes or an hour. Let's just say it was an hour a day, right? And maybe you split it up. Maybe you're like 30 more minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening. So that's five hours a week. If we're just talking about work days, that's 20 hours a month. Well, Jeff, tell me, what could you do? Like, what could any of us do if we had 20 intentional, deliberate hours on something we've been putting off or on a goal that we've been like hoping to achieve for a long time, right? We could move I, mountains. I could watch, I could watch more Netflix. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, th that is the power hour in a nutshell. And um, it, it's just, it's life. It's transforming. Yeah. I could achieve a lot more if I had 20 more hours per month to dedicate to one project. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it'd be, it'd be like the Rubik's cube. It would be like that focus and you'd get there so much faster. Maybe I should dedicate my power hour to solving the Rub Rubik's Cube. It could be. It could be. Marie, do I have this routine before I head off to bed? And my routine could probably use some tweaking from an expert like you. Or maybe it's perfect. But hear mm -hmm. me out. It usually consists of watching Netflix and surfing Facebook Marketplace for mm -hmm. people giving away cool stuff in the neighborhood. Okay. I'm not 100% sure that this routine sets me up for success for the next day. Do you have an evening routine that helps you prepare for the next day? Yeah, I do. And it's not complicated. And I don't think anything is wrong with what you're doing as long as you've maybe done some prep before that to set you up for the next day. The most successful days, the best days, always start the night before. So if before you decide to go on Netflix for a couple hours, you're like, hey, let me just check out my calendar for tomorrow. What do I have in the morning? How many times do you wake up and you're like, forget the 7 a.m. meeting or, or you don't realize, oh my God, that thing is actually 45 minutes away. I thought it was 25 minutes away. Or what am I going to wear? Or the thing is, everything in my closet needs ironing. Or, you know, my, my children have an early morning conference I don't remember or later in the day. You know, so just actually taking the time to look at the calendar and thinking through each thing that's on there. What time do I have to leave? How do I prepare? You know, what's my next step? So that's one thing. And then the second is, Going through that process about the, your top three, what would those be for tomorrow? What are my top priorities? Because the worst is when, you know, you start your day off and you're, you're again, you're trying to be focused, you're trying to be productive. And then you maybe, whether you get in the office or you start your day and you sit there and then it's just like all the stuff happens again, right? All the emails and the texts and the people and you're in the meetings. And then your brain is just like mush and you're starting your day from a place of anxiety, of overwhelm, of procrastinating and just not being clear. If you can spend that few minutes just the night before, be like, what are those top three goals that I want to do or those top two goals personally and those top three professionally? Where will those fit in? That little bit of investment of time of planning is like sets you up like gold for the next day. Not to say it's all going to go perfectly, 
But to wake up with a plan versus to wake up without any plan, it just puts you in a whole different mindset. And you like to write those goals on, um, on like sticky notes. Yeah, I do. I think I'm like super simple. Don't let's not over. We have so many apps, so many technology tools that just make life more complicated, quite frankly, and frustrating. And gosh, yeah, go, go grab a sticky note, go put your top three or top five for tomorrow and write on a sticky note. What I love about it is that it's, it's portable and it's visual, right? So I can stick it right on my laptop, my screen, or right on my wall behind the screen. And I'm going to see it all day, right? It's that visual anchor that keeps me grounded. It keeps me anchored to the things that are most important to me that day. So yeah, go old school, use a sticky note. So I have this habit of, you know, deciding to wash the car or change the oil minutes before we usually have to leave for, let's say, a wedding. And I am terrible at estimating how long it's going to take me to perform that task. How can I get better at estimating how long a task might take me? All right. Well, you are not alone. So this is not a natural thing for us to really think about our time and estimate our time and like think how long like things take. We just, it's just not, it's just not like a natural thing. So it does take a little practice and being again, more intentional about it. So one, you might actually just start thinking about, or like timing how long things take, because how often do you completely underestimate, right? You're like, this thing's going to take me oh, 20 minutes and you get into it. It's like two hours long or vice versa. Sometimes we're putting something off, but you're like, this is going to take me six hours and you do it. And it took an hour. You're like, why was I putting this off for six months? Right. We're, we're just not good time estimators. So one thing is just getting into the practice of putting on your phone and like put the stopwatch on, like how long does this actually take me? You know, if I really am focused and that's going to help you better prepare for the next time when you're in that situation. But also I think even more important than that, or probably a bigger issue or challenge is that we, we don't break tasks down. We don't break projects down. We're looking at them as one project. And if we were to actually break them down, we get more realistic about how long they take. So for example, I was just working with a client today. I have a coach with them. And, you know, we were talking about she's a lawyer and she has a big case. And um, and I was like, okay, well, let's plan out your day for tomorrow. How long do you think it's going to take? And she said two hours. It'll take me two hours. I'm like, okay, well, let's just break that down. So you got to do the research and you got to get the filings done. You got the legal stuff. And we broke each each of those steps down, about six steps. Each one was anywhere from 20, to an hour, 20 minutes to an hour. So it really was like a six hour project, six hours, but her mind told her it was two. And she's been a lawyer for, you know, 20 years. Like, you know, it's not like we're dumb. We just don't think about it. And so of course her day was going to be completely thrown off when she's estimating two and in reality it's six. So if we can break those down and start thinking through how long will each step take and then add it up, you're going to have a lot better chance of estimating more accurately. So what you're saying is I probably shouldn't hire her if I need a lawyer. <laughs> she's like a lawyer, but she's up all night, right? She's up all night because she's not, she's not, uh, she's not estimating her time. Well, just like me. <laughs> so let's talk about something called the big D. And for mm -hmm. me, well, producing this podcast is a labor of love. We've grown it to become one of North America's most popular HR HR podcast, but it's not my primary focus here at ADP. I look after advocacy. So that's creating stories about our clients and how they succeed. And that's pretty awesome. But I still love searching out our podcast guests. I love recording the podcast. I love writing the intros and helping promote it. But at the end of the day, I think one of my biggest challenges is that I am just awful dealing with the big D. So, Marie Do. 
Can you fill us in on what exactly the big D is? I wish we had like drum roll. Okay, drum roll. It is delegation, right? Is delegating getting stuff off of you. Listen, if you want to grow in any way, as again, at work, professionally, personally, in your health, in your relationships, you've got to get some of the things off of your plate so that you can make the space for that growth, right? You can make the room for the improvements. You can make the room for the new experiences. We cannot keep piling up. We've got to think about our life or our day is 24 hours or our life is like, think about a box, right? There's only that much room. You pile stuff, pile stuff, pile stuff. Eventually the lid comes off, everything's flying out. There's no more room. So we need to like actually make room in your life or anybody's life so that you can, you can further, you can grow, you can develop. And again, it's just so counterintuitive. And I think that one of the hardest things to delegate is the stuff we are really good at. It's easier almost to do the things we're not good at, which I think feels counterintuitive. So for instance, um, I'm terrible at doing anything around the house. So I'm always going to call a handyman or a, a contractor, somebody to do it, right? Because I'm really bad at it. But like you, I'm very creative. I love to create things. I love to edit. I love to, you know, so why don't I just keep that all to myself and never let anybody else have it, touch it? And what's that going to do? It's going to keep me locked at this room because I only have that many hours in a day. So I can never bring on any new experiences or new growth in my life. So I would ask you, Jeff, in that, in that um, example, or, you know, this, this situation you're in, like, what are the things that only you can do as you're creating your podcast? Like, I would say this conversation here is only you, like no one else can do that for you, but maybe probably the editing or maybe like helping you find guests or research or, you know, some of the other things is where you can allow that in. But then even though you love it, imagine you'll be, I can't imagine you having even more energy, but being even more present when we're talking or spending even more time doing the thing you love, which is having great conversations with interesting people, right? So you get to spend more time on that. So I, I do think it's really, you know, it's not an easy thing. It's a process like everything else, but start small. What's a small piece of this that you could give up control a bit so that you could make time and space for things that light you up? So at ADP, we have this philosophy and it's around uh, a project of ours called Standout, where we really focus on the things we love okay. and we try and let's say outsource the things that we loathe, the things that we don't enjoy, because research shows that when you really do focus on the stuff you love, you are going to get so much better at it when you dedicate your time focusing on the stuff you love. Mm -hmm. And so one thing every week with people on my team, people that report into me or people I report into, we talk about, hey, this is what my loves were for the week. And this is what my loathes were. And believe it or not, administration and bureaucracy, it's not a love for me. Believe it or not. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, first of all, I love that you have that practice at ADP. Bravo to like your team or the company or the organization for doing that. Like that's an amazing practice. And I think everyone listening can walk away with that practice. Um, and yeah, and it is amazing. Sometimes you just think it through. I think we do so much because it's a rote, right? We've just done it for so long that we just continue to do it versus stepping back and saying, wait, do I actually enjoy this? Is this helping me 
grow? Is this helping me develop? Uh, is there is there someone else who maybe enjoys it more than I do that would be better at it too and bring bring other skills to the table? So I love that you have that practice. So I mentioned earlier, I am a people pleaser because I love being involved in everything. I like being asked to be a part of things. I love when people think, hey, let's include Jeff in that meeting. And I just can't say no. And you share this great example of a client of yours in your book. And her name is Tessa. And who, like me, you know what? Maybe she looked like, hey, she had everything together. She's a real superstar. But just like me, she couldn't say no to things. Mm-hmm. Could you share Tessa's story with us and offer me a few tips in how I could say no? Yes. Yeah. So Tessa is a fantastic person, client, entrepreneur, mom. Uh, she is on three different boards. She's the room mom. She is her own company. She has a team, right? She's doing all the things, right? So on the outside, you're like, this woman's got it all. She's in untouchable mode. And then as you pull the curtains behind and we're working together, she's like, oh, I'm going to crack. If one more thing falls on my plate, I feel like a failure. Things are always falling through the cracks. I, you know, I'm dropping balls and I feel like I'm not, I'm not doing anything well. And so as we sort of, you know, uncover what's going on, yes, there's, there's, different boundaries and and areas that she's feeling really distracted. But a lot of it was because she was people-pleasing, as you mentioned, just saying yes, yes to everything, right? Yes, 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 yes. I say, yes, sorry, Bob. Yes, sorry, ma'am. Yes, kids. Yes, yes, yes. And what that ends up doing is, you know, everything you say yes to is a no to something else. So yes to sharing the ball is like no to spending time with my kids or yes to, you know, whatever, everything yes is a no. So I don't want anyone to get into the habit of saying no. That's like not my not my goal. Don't get into the habit of saying no. But get into the habit of saying yes to very intentionally and deliberately to the things that serve you, right? To things that help you reach your goals, to the things that really help you grow and develop, the things that you can manage and that make sense in your life. So I, I think that as people pleasers, we often just say yes, just because it's yes. Like there's not a thought behind it. Um, so in terms of saying no, you want to, again, start small, but don't even worry about saying just the words no. Like, I think it's just, it's very hard if you're not used to saying no, but how about no, not right now? Or no thanks, not, no thanks, thanks for thinking of me, but how can I help you in the future? Or no, um, you know what, this isn't a great, use, This I'm, I'm really overloaded right now, but can I help you find another resource? Right? So you're, it's like a very collaborative kind of no. It's a, I want to be part of the team. I don't want to let you down, but how else can we figure out a way to make this work? And I think that's such a softer, gentler, and a, a partnership approach of to saying, kind of quote unquote, saying no, but also upholding and respecting your own self and your boundaries and your time and energy. So I think we've all got that colleague who likes to come by and chat, especially when we're working on this super tight deadline. So Marie do. How do you deal with that chatty Charlie? Oh, chatty Charlie, chatty Charlie. We all know chatty Charlie. Every time you're trying to do your work, they pop by. So it's up to you to take control of your time. It's up to you. Ain't nobody going to come by and say, hey, listen, you know, is this, they, you know, typically people say, hey, do you have a minute? Right. They're not going to say, hey, is this a good time for you? Right. And so it's up to us to take control of our time. We train people how to treat us. And there's some people, even if you're showing the best body language, even if you have your headphones on, they're still going to come over and interrupt. So you want to use your time language, like language that actually puts you in the driver's seat and helps you take control of your time. 
So you might be something like this. Hey, Charlie, this is not a great time for me right now. I'm on a tight deadline. Could we pick this up later at lunch? Or hey, Charlie, um, you know, I'm I just heads down in this. Uh, could we, you know, could you get something on my calendar so we can chat later? Or just really honestly, listen, Charlie, I'm trying to get better, better control of my time right now. Right. So could you, you know, um, is this an emergency? If not, this isn't a great time for me. Right. Because if we don't actually, if we're not clear, if we're not proactive with that, they're just going to keep talking and keep talking and they don't know that they're bothering you or interrupting you. So it's up to you to take control of your time. Now, those are really great examples of what to say when we're talking one-on-one with a coworker. What are some examples of things to say when a meeting is starting Mm -hmm. to get off track or when everyone's having to listen to me ramble on about the latest escapade that our new puppy Oreo has gotten up to? What are your tips for keeping those meetings on track? Yeah, I love that. So I think the first thing is how you set up the meeting. You want to start, you want to think about this before the meeting, before you even get into it. What's the preparation? So uh, I love agendas. I've always, when I'm training in this, I'm like, here's agenda. And, but I think what's really different or something we don't always think about with the agenda is to add a time limit to each like bullet point that you have. So let's say you have three things you want to cover. We're like, okay, we're going to do, I think I'm going to do the background on this. We're going to talk through the timeline and then we're going to walk away with next steps. Here's my three bullets. Well, that means we're going to spend 10 minutes or five minutes on the background, you know, 20 minutes on the next steps and five minutes on the recap. So that way, when, before they've gotten into the meeting, people know what to expect. When you're in the meeting, they know what to expect, but still they're going to go off the rails, right? People are going to dominate or talk too long. But now it makes it easier for you to say, hey, listen, we only got five minutes left, right? In this 20 minutes, we have five minutes left. I'm going to rail this back in and let's, you know, let's stay on track. Or you might even start the meeting and say, hey, we're under a tight deadline. We only got five minutes in the background. So if I, if you're going out a little too long, don't be offended. I might just like, you know, just might cut you off or not cut you off, you know, kind of really in and move on to the next person. So you're kind of setting those expectations before you get in the meeting, at the beginning of the meeting, and then during the meeting, again, it's up to you to take control. You might say something like, if someone's really talking, you might say, hey, listen, um, in the interest of getting everyone heard, we're going to have to, can you wrap up that point? And we're going to have to move on, right? But you got to do it. You got you got to be the one in control because otherwise it'll go off the rails. And then that meeting just feels so unproductive and unvaluable and quite frankly, just a really big waste of everyone's time. So now we've come to one of my favorite parts of the Insights at Work podcast, and that's when we get to talk to our podcast guests about their list of favorites and firsts. Are you ready, Maridu? I'm ready. Bring it on. All right. Maridu, what was your first job? I was working for my dad, who was also an entrepreneur, who had a really successful telecommunications company. He's in New York, and so I worked with him for several summers. My first job. What was your first concert? Madonna. I'm dating myself a long time ago. <laughs> Where was it? It was in New Jersey. Um, it got to be back in the eight, uh, late 80s, 80s, I guess. Yeah. So, Wild Dog. What was your favorite concert? Uh, Lady Gaga. Because she's such a great performer and singer. I just, I love, I love performances there too. So, she was like the most fun. What was your favorite? What was your first car? A Honda Pilot. My first car was actually after I had children. I'd never owned a car before. And then, you know, had to go for the SUV with the kids. Well, better than minivan. Yes, true. And what is your favorite piece of advice that you give 
to the young professional just starting out? Be curious. Be like, just be really curious. Meet people, network, talk about things. Just listen, listen a lot. Be curious, ask good questions, but then sit back and listen. That is my favorite piece of advice that our guests give. Be curious. Yeah. Yeah. Renu, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Insights at Work podcast. Now, after this episode, I think I'm going to be able to start waking up with a plan, saying no without feeling guilty, taking a break from email without that fear of missing out, and going for a walk right smack in the middle of my workday. I can't wait to show the world the new me, or maybe just a better organized version of me. Thanks so much for coming on the Insights at Work podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. Thanks, Jeff. And with that, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit from it as well. If you find the Insights at Work podcast worthy, please go on to iTunes and give us a cool rating with a nice review. We certainly appreciate it. And if there's something that you would like me to discuss around this big world of HR and all things business, give me a shout. You know how to reach me on social media or through LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay healthy and be kind. We'll see you soon on the next episode of the Insights at Work podcast.